Real men. Manly man. What exactly are we talking about? Manly is a classic term of approval. Suggested traits admired by society, such as determination, decisiveness, courage, and strength. Popular culture associates manliness with things like hot rods, steak, football, and chest hair. While conversely prohibiting things like hand lotion, tanning beds, minivans, and aerobics. Well, I contend that real men, manly men, live boldly, speak truthfully, and lead reliably. And for those who don't, well, you know what time it is. It's time to man up. Welcome, everybody. So glad you guys are here for our brand new teaching series called Man Up. I wonder if you'd be willing to turn to your neighbor and just say, man up. Even if they're a woman, just say, man up. Go ahead and man up. Time to man up. Get your big boy pants on. Hey, welcome all of you who are joining us online, everybody, all across Silicon Valley now and the East Bay joining us, four campuses. I want to say welcome to those of you who are joining us at South San Jose, those of you who are joining us at Sunnyvale, those of you who are joining us at North San Jose. And Fremont. And we want to celebrate what God did last week as the Fremont campus launched. 564 people showed up, which is unbelievable. And uh, I think part of what God is saying to us as a church, I want to do some things that no man or woman can take credit for. We call it unexplainable stuff that only God can do. So we give God the glory and credit. 564 lives Many of them for the very first time coming to Echo Church. We also want to celebrate the 100 plus Dream Team members, Lucille Sablon, the staff there. Let's put our hands together for the Fremont campus. We praise God for you. Way to go. What amazing, amazing launch you had. Let me explain to you kind of the genesis behind the series before we jump in called Man Up, where it comes from. It comes from a lot of conversations that I've had with men in our church. And when I was having the conversation, I thought to myself, I wish I could have this conversation with all of the men in our church at once. So since I can't sit down the size of our church for coffee, since we can't sit down together, all of us, I just decided we'll, we'll all join together and have the conversation. And um, also, at the same time, for those of you who are women in our church, I think that oftentimes there is an unnecessary opposition placed with masculinity and femininity. And what I want to say is over the last 50 years, there are a lot of wrongs that needed to be right, made right in our society around the role of men and women. And I think that oftentimes there was in history, there was a diminishing of the role of women and oftentimes men oppressed and still many times do oppress women. And we as a church, we, we stand for women's rights. We, we believe that God created men and women equal, that a house needs a father and a mother together, that our church need men and women to flourish. And I, I was hoping I could get a little bit more of an amen um, there. And so we, we as a church want to continue to elevate the, the role of women. And a part of what I want to do with this series is give you some things that you can talk about at home. So all you have to say, well, Pastor Andy said it. That's it. There's Andy said it. And then that'll help you a little bit. So I'm, I'm on your team trying to help out some conversations. You know, it's interesting, though, that many times in our society, as a result of an emphasis over the last 50 years that needed to happen, there's a confusion now with what it means to be a man in our society. How do I be a man? How do I love my wife? How do I love my children? How do I thrive and succeed at work? 
the way that God intends for me to thrive and succeed at work, when oftentimes there's not as much of an understanding of masculinity in our society. But really, in many ways, we know that men and women are are different. God made us different. And it, it really does begin to appear to us from a very young age. At five years old, my daughter said to me yesterday, why do women shave their armpits and not men? And um, really what she was asking was because we had just gone to the gym, why don't you shave your armpits? Um, And I said, well, that's a great question. And she says, well, I really do think you should start shaving them. (laughs) And I said, well, I'll take that into consideration. At least maybe I'll trim them. That will be better. But, um, But I want over the next few weeks to talk about what if I could sit down with you as a man for coffee or for tea, if that's what you prefer. Um, these are the three conversations that we would have together. The first one, I would want to talk to you about getting your confidence back. I would want to talk to you about how at one point when you were a young boy, you had confidence and something shifted over time. Maybe it was um, your upbringing. Maybe there were some things that happened at school, but you lost your confidence. And I want to, I'd, I'd want to talk about that. Secondly, I'd want to talk to you about how your past doesn't define you. Because I've had a lot of conversations with men and the, the way that they see their past makes it very difficult to step into their future. We've talked about that a lot as a church, but I believe that in many ways men are held captive by their past. And in some ways their past is still their present. So we wanna talk about next week how to move that in the past and realize that your past doesn't define you. Third week, we're gonna talk about how your strength is found in surrender. Because I think a lot of men, our understanding of strength and what it means to be a strong man, a strong loving man, we've misunderstood it. We're going to talk about how surrender brings us into that place where we are living with the kind of strength that God has for us. Women, this will help you as well. I promise you. It's not going to just be like only it applies to men. and It's going to be a great series. Today, we're going to start looking at the life of Gideon. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn there. Uh, We're going to look today at one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. I love, love, love the story of Gideon. Um, And this week when I was reading the story of Gideon, many times I've read it, I've I've taught on it a couple times here at our church. There were some insights for me that were surprising and in a very good way that I felt like God spoke to me and I wanna really drill down into this whole idea of confidence. How do, you, how do you get confidence the way that God wants you to have confidence? But to get there, we're going to have to go into the context a little bit. I'm going to have to do a little bit of teaching to talk about this nation that had lost their confidence in Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It says, the Israelites had done evil in the Lord's sight. Now, if you go and you study the Old Testament, this is a very common occurrence. These were the people of God chosen by God to bless the nations. Why did God do it that way? I don't know. But God had a plan from the very beginning that he was going to bless a nation and then he was going to raise up from within that nation one man, Jesus, who he would bless all the nations through. And this nation of Israel, they were chosen by God. They had all these, lo- these, these laws that God had given to them and there were a set of principles of how they were to live their lives. They were to worship the one true God. But when God brought them into the promised land, they got in this cycle in Judges In the book of Judges, they would follow God, they would worship him, God would bless them, they'd forget about God. As soon as they forgot about God, God would give them a consequence. Once they forgot, they got the consequence, then they would cry out to God for help. It was a cycle, the whole book of Judges. Really depressing. Probably not a good book to read 
when you're depressed because it's like really, really dark. They just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. They had never heard Einstein's quote. You know, it's like, you know, doing the same thing and over and over and over again, expecting different results. That's stupidity. They just kept doing that over and over and over again. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Now, God oftentimes will leverage circumstances to bring you back. God's discipline for you is like a good father. He's not trying to discipline the people of God simply because he's trying to make their lives miserable. He's using circumstances to draw them back. So he's using the Midianites, this group of people, they're wicked. He's using them to bring his people back. Verse two, it says, the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Now you have to understand that they are hiding where are they hiding? They are hiding in the promised land. It would be like if, if, if you, you lived in your house, somebody came in, took over, and you're living in the closet. That's what's happening. So here's this whole nation of people that God has created to live, to bless other nations, to live with confidence and boldness, and they're living in fear. They're hiding in caves. In verse 3, it says the reason they were doing this was because whenever the Israelites planted their crops, more rotters or more raiders, See, the raiders end up in the Bible. Raiders here. Um, there they go again. From Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel. When they would attack them, they would camp in the land and destroy all of their crops as far as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat and taking all the sheep, goat, cattle, and donkeys. So here's what would happen. Israelites go out and they'd plant. When the crops came up, as soon as the, plot, the crops came up, the Midianites would come in, they'd destroy the crops. Plant more crops, Crops raise up, destroy them. For seven years, this was happening. This reminded me, I was a wrestler in high school. I wonder if we have any wrestlers, all three of our campuses. You can raise up your arms, flex a little bit. Um, look at that. Just keep them up for a second so we can see. We want you on the security team here at Echo. Um, and I remember in high school, if you were a lot better than somebody, um, what you would do. So in my high school, we, we used to have this thing called the takedown club. We would have a competition to see how many takedowns you could get. So guys are motivated by stickers, and each, each week you'd get, a, you'd get a sticker on the chart, and then at the end of the year, if you had the most takedowns, you got an award. So if you wrestled somebody who was really bad, you could take them down and let them up, and take them down and let them up, and take them down. I can neither confirm nor deny whether or not I ever did that, but um, it's cruel. It's the worst thing you could do to one of your opponents. That's what the Israelites are doing, the, the, the Midianites are doing to the Israelites. Take them down, let them up. Take the crops grow, take them away. So it's a humiliation that they're experiencing. They feel worthless. They've lost their confidence. It says, so Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Here they were supposed, supposed to have been living in confidence in the land that God has given to them and they are reduced to starvation. They are reduced to hiding. Then the Israelites, now they cried out to the Lord for help. They're, they're at the bottom, and they're saying, God, we need you. Now, I want us to notice that this is not repentance, okay? This is, they feel bad. They feel bad. They're, they're so sad. This is my kids fighting with each other, arguing recently, me telling one of the kids to apologize, the kid's saying, sorry, I'm just sorry. No, you're really not sorry. You just don't want to lose tech time. That's, that's what it is. And the Israelites, they're, they're, really, they're really not sorry. They just don't want the pain. They don't want the pain of their circumstances. But we're going to notice, I love from Scripture what we see is from the Bible we learn so much about ourselves and we learn so much about God. And we're going to see even the grace of God 
to the nation of Israel in their imperfection and their disobedience. And this is good news. This is hope for you and I today. That right where, we're, right where you are in the midst of your circumstance, the same way that the Lord interacts with Gideon and his people here is the way he wants to interact with you. So it says in, in, in verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah. How many of you know that's where Oprah got her name? It is, true story. They didn't realize the H was there, so they just called her Oprah. Go look it up online, it's, but not while I'm preaching. So it was at, it was at Ophrah, uh, which belonged to Joash. This is the father of, of Gideon, who we're going to see in just a moment from the clan of Ebiezer. So not, I want us to notice that whenever God wants to solve a problem, God raises up a leader to solve a problem. So God is going to come to Gideon. He's going to raise up a leader to solve the problem for the people of Israel. Make, make it clear that God raises up men and women to solve problems. Just in case, don't want any confusion here, okay? This is a Man Up series, but God raised up a woman campus pastor over at Fremont because she's an amazing leader. So God raises up men and women, but when God wants to solve a problem, he raises up a leader, Gideon. That's his man right now. That's who he's raising up. Son of Joash was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. Now that's interesting. I, I know here in our church we don't have a lot of wheat threshers. But what, what happens when you're, you're threshing out wheat is in order to get the wheat to, to settle, you, you need wind for that to happen. Now we do have wine presses here in the Bay Area. And a wine press, actually if you've ever been in a wine press, you'll, you'll notice that there's not a whole lot of wind in a wine press. So Gideon is threshing wheat, but the place where he's threshing wheat, he's hiding. So here's this blue-collar guy, and he's trying to do his job, but he's lost his confidence, so he's doing his job and hiding. And what we need to see that is so incredibly important is that God's people have lost confidence. So here they are, the people of God, that are supposed to be standing with confidence, believing that God is for them, that he's on their side. They've been reduced down to starvation. They're hiding in caves. And now God is going to come and raise up a leader. Where is he going to find his leader? He's going to find the leader sucking his thumb in a closet. That's where God's going for the leader. You're like, God, mm, did, you, did you not realize this, this guy's hiding in a closet? You're like, this is who you want? It'd be like if, if somebody was a farmer, and blue-collar guy loads up all of, his, all of his supplies, his fruit into the back of his truck. And instead of going down 80 or, or 101, he decides he's going to take all these back roads. And his truck is tipping and stuff's falling out. And he's doing it because he, he doesn't want anybody to take all his supplies away and all his food away. Gideon is hiding. The people of God have lost their confidence. And it's so important for us to understand what is confidence. See, confidence is the ingredient that empowers me to act on my calling. So God can give you a calling, Israel. God can give you a calling, Gideon. But if you don't have confidence, you won't act on the calling. That's why we always say here as a church, your next steps are so important. Because if you hear it, if God speaks to you, but you do nothing with it, it doesn't really matter in your day-to-day -day life. You need confidence to take what God speaks to you and put it into action on Monday morning. Which brings up a very important question, where do you look for confidence. And we look in a lot of different places to find confidence. I saw this really interesting body of research this week about how 
our behavior oftentimes causes us to lose confidence. And so what they noticed was actually that people who get addicted to things, they lose confidence. So addiction diminishes confidence. They studied men and women, and this will be no surprise to anybody here, but the things that men get addicted to is different than what women get addicted to. So men, statistically, you can prove this, men get addicted to smoking, to gambling, to drinking, to the internet, which probably is just internet pornography. Women get addicted to caffeine and chocolate. I heard an amen right there. I can see somebody with some Ghirardelli right now just enjoying it. It's true though, the addiction, the study was showing that addiction diminishes our confidence. But see, what happens oftentimes is there's so many different places that we are looking for confidence. And our experiences over time, whether it's from a teacher or a coach or a parent, over time, there's a tendency to lose confidence. And even studies show, there's this one great book called The Confidence Code. Studies show that women tend to lose confidence at work. And what happens to men is they tend to lose confidence at home. And maybe today you, you've lost your confidence. And I, I, can, I can relate to this. I remember one experience that I, I carried for years. I still vividly remember this one time in high school. So I, I started playing sports. I wrestled football. I was okay at both of them, but I decided... Um, all my friends who played football and wrestled, they, they, they did baseball. So I decided I'd go out for baseball. I needed a sport in the spring. So I went out for baseball. And there's like 100 kids that come in. They try out and they do cuts. So the first three days, they let you try out. Then they, they do the first round of cuts. Then they do a second round, third round, the whole, the whole nine yards. Nine yards, that's football. <laughs> whole three bases. Um, and so, so they, they do this. Well, the first round of cuts... Coach K calls me into his office. I don't know if he did this with everybody, but he called me in and the door shut. You could just, boom, closes the door. And he looks at me and he asks me this very dear, just like, in, in, you know, intense look, sincerity in his heart. Says, son, you ever played baseball before? <laughs> so, well, no, sir, I have not. T-ball. But I got kicked out for picking dandelions in the field. So, um... <laughs> No, sir, I haven't. He said, well, all these, all these boys, they've been playing since they were five, so you'll understand why i got to cut you. I'm like, yes, I understand, but I still remember it, Coach K, <laughs> 20, 30 years later. So, um, but, but many times those experiences will diminish our confidence. And what I want to say is people lose confidence because they look for it in the wrong place. People lose confidence because they look in the wrong place. If you are looking to your abilities, you're looking to your experience, your capacity, and there's a big difference between self-esteem and confidence. And many times we've mistakenly thought of self-esteem being the thing that we need to act on what God calls us to do. But really what you need is confidence. And I want to look at how God helps Gideon and helps Israel get their confidence back in this story. We're going to go forward to verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. And the first thing he says to him, notice, mighty hero. You're like, God, he's not a mighty hero. He's hiding. He, he's, not, he's not the kind of person, God, that you should choose to lead your people. But the angel of the Lord comes and he says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. See, this is the way that God operates when God wants to raise up a man, when he wants to call a man up 
what God does is he speaks to the identity, not as the behavior currently is, but as the person is becoming. See, there are two primary ways that you and I can live around identity. And if we're going to get our confidence back, the way that we need to understand it is that to step into it, you need to know your true identity. And that's saying, by faith, I am who God says I am. Your whole life, you've had a battle, men and women, around identity. And there's a choice that you are making and I am making around identity. And the question is, will you live out of the true identity that God says about you or the false identity that the enemy wants to speak over your life? See, your whole life, God has been trying to speak to you this new identity to call you up. The enemy, what he wants to do is speak down to you to tell you all these things about you that are not true. What he can do is get you to look in the mirror and what you see when you look in the mirror is not who God says you are, but all these things about your situation, all these things about your behavior that are not as they should be. But when God looks at you, what God sees is not as you are today simply, but as you are becoming. So God takes people who are cowards who are living as cowards and calls them mighty heroes. God calls us up to a new identity to say, this is who you are, your true identity. This is the man that I've called you to be. This is so important, y'all, that God, God speaks to you and shifts your identity. Your whole life, you're making a decision. Do you live for identity or do you live from identity? Do, do, you, do you live in such a way that you behave and now this becomes your identity or do you live from the new identity that God has given? If I were a rapper, I would say it like this. The way you see yourself is the way you be yourself. That's the way I'd say it. Because what you see when you look in the mirror is, is dictating that behavior. This is so crucial for parents because the way you speak to a child is forming them and shaping them. This is why as a parent, when a child makes a mistake, rather than calling them a mistake, you say, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. I know who, you, I know who God's created you to be. Women, your role in this is so incredibly crucial. I mean, you've heard the story before one time about the Silicon Valley executive who was sitting on an airplane as he was sitting there on his private jet right next to his wonderful wife. He looks out the window and there is somebody filling up the airplane with gas and his wife looks out and starts waving at the guy and says, hey, John, so good to see you. And her husband's like, what are you doing waving at this guy pumping gas in the airplane? And she goes, oh, that's my ex-boyfriend. I used to date him in high school. And he looks at her and goes, aren't you so glad you didn't marry her or marry him? Because if, you mar if you'd marry him, you'd be married to a, to a gas pumper. And she goes, oh no, aren't you so glad you married me? Because if you didn't marry me, you'd be out there pumping gas and he'd be on the airplane. That's, that's, so your role as a woman is really, really significant. I believe um, in, in a large part that, that's a great story, isn't it? True story. I'm just kidding. But um, I believe that I am in large part who I am today because of the words that my wife has spoken over me over 16 years of marriage. I want to welcome her to the stage to talk to us just for a quick moment. And um, she, she's got some really good tricks of the trade. So why don't you share some of your tricks of the trade? Okay. The, this is free 99 right here. The first here. one is a sticker chart for your man. Yeah. Every time he washes the dishes, he just gets a sticker. And, and, and when I get five... 
No, no, no. We're not going there. We're not going there this morning. No, it's eight. <laughs> okay. Okay, okay, okay. Let's make this Rewind. helpful. Okay. So, um, okay, a couple tricks of the trade. Um, one thing that I think is so important is finding something that your man does right. And if you are, like, so frustrated and you feel like he doesn't do anything right and there's everything to criticize, um, you got to find one thing. And even if it's only, like, he takes out the garbage on Wednesday nights or, you know, he drives your kids to school a couple times a week or something, you got to beat that drum over and over. Because what happens is people don't like to be criticized. They avoid people that criticize them. Right. But but natural human tendency is if if someone is affirming to you, you want that. There's something in you that is motivated by that. And so if you beat that drum on the one thing he does right, then he, that's going to motivate him to want more of that affirmation. Yeah, and, and so, she, that's why I'm grateful. Like, she's always telling me, you, you should trim your nose hairs. You, <laughs> they, you trim your fingernails. It's like the one thing. She well, <laughs> so that's actually a different trick yeah. of the trade. So this one is, okay, you guys know how we have a tendency to compare people, compare like, oh, well, that guy, you know, he's good at building things. And well, my guy is I not can't. so good at building things. And so, <laughs> Turn a light bulb. So, but you know what I like to do is I like to flip comparison on its head because it's so bad to like compare in that way to anyone. But it kind of is a natural tendency. And so you can flip it on its head and say, well, I'm so glad I'm married to this guy because he does this and that guy, he does like that. You know, like, for example, not every man shaves his neck hair right. or trims his nose hairs. And I'm really glad Andy does. And so I'm like, well, I'm really glad I'm married to that guy. So uh, that's, that's another one of my tricks. Another trick is I keep a list in my journal of all the things that I love and appreciate about Andy or, and my three children. And um, I add to that list whenever I think of something else. But it's important to me to have that list because some days it's hard to remember, right? Yes. It's like some days you don't remember anything that you really find attractive or appreciate about that person. <laughs> and so you have to go back to your list and you're like, oh, yeah, I see that in you. Yes. And, um, and it reminds you, it gives you something good to dwell on. And whatever you focus on, that's what's going to grow. And so, um, yeah, focus on the positive. The last trick is something that my dad said to me um, at our wedding. And um, my dad was telling kind of the story of uh, the Lion King, and he was comparing Andy to Simba and me to Nala. And he said, um, it, he said, you know, that scene in the Lion, scene, Lion King where, where Simba is trying to, like, avoid responsibility, and he's not, he's just kind of like Hakuna Matata. Um, and then Nala shows up. And she, like, brings out the lion in Simba. And he said to, uh, my dad said to me on our wedding day, he said, Stacy, you have to bring out the lion in Andy. And some days he's going to forget that it's in there, but you have to see it. You have to reach down deep into his soul and bring it back to the surface. So I really, I really take that as a huge part of my responsibility as Andy's wife. I'm grateful you do. Yes. <laughs> There's, there's a power in understanding that true identity and both for those of us who are speaking to others and our words, the power of our words to call people up. I'm so grateful that I have a God that when he looks at me, he sees me as who I'm becoming. I'm so grateful that there is hope that lifts us to a new life in Jesus and your, your identity is so fundamental. It's amazing though how Gideon as God calls him a mighty warrior, looks back at God in verse 13, and he replies, well, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? 
See, Gideon is still so incredibly focused on his circumstances. He's so focused on his own weakness and the weakness of the nation of Israel. And he says back to God, well, if, if really you were with us, if really I was a mighty warrior, then we wouldn't be in this situation. He says to him, where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Verse 14, didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Our situation is so bad. But then the Lord looks back at him and says that the Lord then turned to him. Notice how God overrides his objection. God takes what Gideon says, almost ignores all that Gideon says, and puts his mind on the one thing that he most needs to be focused on. He says, I want you to go with the strength that you have, which is kind of funny. Do I really even have strength? Here I am hiding in a cave, but it's the strength that I'm giving to you. God is saying, go with the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. See, I'm raising up a leader. I'm raising up a man that's going to bring my people out, Gideon, and guess what? You are it. You're the man. You're the one that I'm going to use to rescue my people from the Midianites, and I am sending who? I'm sending you. That's your job. That's your assignment. There's nobody else, Gideon, that I'm raising up for this moment other than you. And the second part of getting your confidence back is understanding your assignment. God gives us assignments to accomplish for our lives. And I believe God does it from a macro standpoint and God does it from a micro standpoint. See, it's amazing to me in our society how much of a diminishing emphasis there has been on fatherhood. Did you know that, that, that one in four children are being raised without their father right now? One in four children in America are living in fatherless homes. Why is that the case? It's the case because there are so many men who are rejecting the ownership that is required to lead in their family. So they're leaving when it's easy. It's easier to run away from raising when there are all these problems in the home. But come back one more time to, to this point. Your assignment, your assignment that God has given to you requires that you own what God tells you to do. See, I am convinced I am the only, I'm the only father that these kids, my kids will ever have. So if I don't own the role that God has given to me, there is a massive void in their lives. And statistics show that a young man or a young woman, a young woman that is raised without a father figure is seven times more likely to get pregnant as a teenager. A young man is way more likely to end up in prison if a father's not there. So I have to own that. There's nobody else that can do that role. I'm called by God to, pastor my, or to, to love and shepherd my wife. Nobody else can do that job. See, God has given you an assignment that only you can fulfill. Here's the question. What's your God-given assignment that you've lost initiative for? Sometimes, guys, we, we get apathetic over our assignments. It's easier to invest ourselves at our work because computers most of the time do what they're supposed to do. Kids don't. Spouses sometimes do. We sometimes do. See, the reality is often we're, we're so focused on the assignment at work and that assignment matters. But God also has given you an assignment at home. And the more you are convinced of that assignment, that God-given assignment, that when you stand before God, your ownership of that assignment will have mattered. The question is, are you owning the thing that God has called you to do? Are you owning your role in the household? Those kids, when they turn 18, when they, when they get married, there's going to be a dad that's walking that daughter down the aisle. Are you going to be that dad? 
And your decisions all along the way are shaping fundamentally at the core who that human being is becoming. Your ownership really does matter. One in four people in our country now are in Generation Z. Generation Z is the generation that my kids are in right now. So that's after millennials. And this, this is the largest generation in American history. Did you know that? Not only is it the largest generation in American history, it's the most unchurched, unreached generation in American history. What does that communicate to you and I? That we are given a responsibility if we are followers of Jesus to pass the faith to the next generation. What's one of the best ways that you can do that? You can do that by owning up to serve in, in our Echo Kids and Echo Students ministry. You can do that by investing in the next generation. I love it when I hear stories of men who are 19, 20 years old and they're investing in 12 year olds. I love walking by our rooms and seeing 35 year old men sitting on the floor holding babies, not afraid to get peed on. I love it when I see men who are taking fourth and fifth graders and speaking hope into their life, owning that assignment to pass the faith to the next generation. We have to step up. It's so so confusing to me when sometimes I'll, I'll walk by a room and there are no men in there investing in the next generation. So you can sign up at all four of our campuses for family ministry today for next gen. Walk out, grab a tag, sign up, say, I want to be, be on the team to invest my life. God will give you an assignment. You say, God, I don't know my assignment. Tell him, God, I need an assignment. Tell me what to do. Yesterday, one of my kids was distracted at the baseball game. He got an assignment with a clicker. It's amazing how an assignment focuses your energy. It focuses. He's counting pitches now. Now he's paying attention to the game. God, God will give you an assignment. If you don't know your assignment, you're walking around aimlessly. And God is saying you, you need an assignment and you need to own it. And here's the thing. God, God, when he gives an assignment, does something else. See, watch this conversation as it continues. Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? Is it focused on all his weaknesses? Oh, my clan is the weakest clan in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I'm the least in my entire family. It's like amazing to me how this guy is so focused on his own weakness. But I'm right there with you, Gideon. I can relate. I got, I got a list of about 20 things in my journal from this week. I, think I, I just continue. Just, I'm in process, just like you are. And I love that I have a God that overrides my weakness. That God, when he, when he chooses people to use, he is not choosing based upon perfection. How many of you are grateful for that? So the Lord looks right back at him, looks right back at him, doesn't say anything about his weakness. Doesn't even disagree with him. Gideon, I think you're probably right about all that. But the good news is that I will be with you. That's the good news. So when you step into that assignment, when you step into it, there will be an anointing that call, come back. And I will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Why? Because you, you're strong? No, because I'm with you. See, God always, God always gives anointing to his assignments. God will call you to step up and man up to this new level. 
to ownership in your home, to ownership in your career. Your career matters. To ownership in the kingdom of God, to invest in the local church. I love it that God gives an anointing for his assignment. God is not going to use your life based on your giftedness. God is going to use your life based on your availability. Some of us have, the reason we're not being used by God more is because we're so focused on, on our ability. Am I good enough? Do I have enough? Ex- the God, that's not how God works. God is looking for men and women who say, I am available to you and who will focus on their anointing, my anointing. And this is simply me saying, I'm going to rely on God instead of my own abilities. And there's power in this. And God will use this coward of a man or this man who's behaving like a coward. He'll insert confidence into his soul. He'll raise him up and he will liberate the people of God through one man who had all these reasons why God shouldn't use his life. And God is looking for men, he's looking for women, he's looking for people who are available, and he's not basing it on your history, on your perfection, on your abilities. And when the Spirit of God comes, I love the way in Acts 2, it talks about, I'll give my spirit, and when I do, I'll raise up sons and daughters of the house, I'll give them dreams, I'll give them visions. God will raise up 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 18-year-old, 35-year-old, 80-year-old brokenness in their past. He's just looking for people that will rely on his power and his presence. So many times in my life, I, I'll, I'll stand and deliver a message and I'll think about all my weaknesses and God will remind me again, it's, it's not based on your ability that I am using you. It's based on your willingness to stand in the gap and rely on my power And I will meet you at the place of your availability to do the things that only I can. Why does God do it that way? It's so confusing. God's doing it that way so that when people look at your life, he's the one that gets the glory and credit for it. It's like, man, that guy's messed up. And the the only logical explanation is there must be a God. There must be a God that made all that happen. I mean, look at that idiot. I mean, well, kind of. He behaves like an idiot, but he's really not an idiot. Look at that guy. And God is using him. That's what God wants to do is to take cowards and turn them into fearless, brave warriors who have the confidence to stand and deliver to do the very thing that God's called us to do. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus dying on a cross, resurrecting from the dead, that a greater Gideon would come, that one who never lacked confidence, who never lacked obedience, who would stand in the gap for you and I so that we could live in the power of God, that a cross of the cross of Jesus and an empty tomb give hope. See, what hope does is hope lifts. Hope lifts you from where you are to who God has created you to become. And God is saying to you today, there's more. The best of what I want to do in you and through you is in front of you. Now man up. Get your confidence back. Stop looking for your confidence in all the wrong places. Look for your confidence in your identity that I've said about you. Look for your confidence in the assignment that I've given to you. Look for your confidence in the anointing that I've placed on you. 
I will be with you. I will not fail you, Gideon. I will not fail you, sir, if you rely upon me. God, thank you today for that promise. Thank you that you're a faithful God, that you take people like Gideon, you take people like us, you use us to do the unthinkable. God, we give you glory. We give you glory in South San Jose for what you're doing. We give you credit for Fremont and Sunnyville and North San Jose. God, we praise your name. You are the one who's worthy of the highest honor. And God, thank you that you override every one of our objections based on our weaknesses, based on our brokenness, and you do the unthinkable. God, we praise you that you're giving us a, a new name today a new identity. Help us to own it, to stand in our assignment that you've given to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.